I have to give credit for doing um, a study on discernment to Susie because, you know, she had been having some conversations and saying, you know what, I think we really need to talk about discernment. And I felt like in my own circle, the things that were being talked about, like that was something that we're looking at, you know, so much division in our country and so many... I mean, things that we probably haven't seen in the past with the conspiracy theories and, you know, different things that, you know, what's true, what's not true? Is the media telling us the truth? Are they hiding it? I know we all have opinions about that, right? And, um, and, and you know what? You're free to share whatever opinion you want here. And, um, but one of the things that makes the most sen- uh, difference, uh, whoa, I can't even talk today. The thing that makes... Um, that is the most important is that we know what the word says and not necessarily our opinion. Does that make sense? We can have opinions based off of the word, right? That's our bar, our our barometer, our our rod, as scripture says. Um, And so we need to make sure that in those decisions that they're lining up with what God says or they're lining up with um, truth. And so we have to filter that through that. And so thinking about discernment, I was talking to Brad. Brad leads the men's study. And I was saying, Brad, I, I'm not sure what direction to go in. I'm trying to think, you know, should I do, you know, a character series on discernment? And he said, why not those that have the lack of discernment? I'm like, oh, that's all of us characters, right? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and he said, I would start with Samson. And I was like, great idea. So I got to looking at Samson and recently just had a conversation with someone in a Bible study that I'm in about um, not being assured of his salvation, it sounded like, in our conversation. Um, things that we can, again, have opinions about. But I could say, go to Ephesians 1.13. says, you're sealed in the Holy Spirit. So you don't want to argue with God all day long how you're sealed and you're not good enough. That's fine. But at some point you have to believe truth, right? Um, and, and we weren't meant to live in that state of non-victory, right? We weren't meant to be in that place. And so Samson um, made me start thinking about his life. And if you know anything about Samson just from the get-go, what do you know about Samson? Just tell me. History. History. Okay. What do you know about him as a person? Um, he was a Nazarite. Yeah, okay. He had taken a vow. Okay. <coughs> Nothing else? He followed the kind of the word of the people instead of the Lord. Followed the word of people instead of the Lord. Anything? He loved a woman named Delilah. Loved a woman named Delilah, right? That's probably the most famous story we know, Samson and Delilah, right? Um, You know, it's right up there with, like, Noah's Ark. Like, even the world knows this story. You know, the the cartoon advertisement we put up, you know, with the Simpsons. You know, and I know they've been on for, like, 200 years, but it was like, I wonder if they've done Samson and Delilah. Yep, they had. So it's a familiar story, but we don't know all the ins and outs of it until we get into it. It's like any other scripture that we look into, right? Um, But it made me think when I read verse 1, it says, Again, 
The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now, there is something different about that opening line than some of the others. Oh, I'm sorry, we're in Judges chapter 13. Remember Judges is a book that it's like every time the Israelites fell away and they had been oppressed and someone was lording over them, they'd realize, oh, God, right? And they'd cry out to God and he'd bring them another judge and they'd live in peace for a while, right? And then they'd decline slowly like we do. And then, oh, Lord, and then he'd bring another judge, etc. Only... Usually it says, because I'm looking back here just to try to find another one real quick so I could read it to you. Oh, I don't see it right off, but that's okay. But usually they do right in the Lord's sight, or they did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord hands them over. Now, it doesn't say there that um, they brought, he brought someone to save them. And that, that's a little bit different in when we're going through this. You're going to see that it says that Samson was only there to begin a victory. And we can kind of see in his life that if we were to compare our life to his, we might question our own salvation, right? Um, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. And in those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The woman ran and told her husband, A man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. And I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he told me, and let's stop right there. You're not able to have children. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, you're going to have a kid. She was so excited. She didn't ask any questions. <laughs> right? Do you have that problem? Because I do. I get excited about the news, and I don't ask the questions, and I don't get all the information, and then all of a sudden my husband's quizzing me, right? <laughs> well, do you have any details? No, I didn't ask. You know? <laughs> and so... She says, um, uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, okay, I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. Verse 7, but he told me, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. He said this, angel has said it, now she has said it, right? And what are those vows showing? Your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Almost like it didn't say that she had, couldn't cut her hair, but even while she was pregnant, she wasn't supposed to have any alcohol, any 
grapes, any raisins, anything that was even close to that. Like she was already carrying part of that vow, even with him inside of her. And if you think about the whole ramifications of being pregnant with, with a child and what we eat it affects them, that that vow was already being considered important because the nourishment was coming from her. And so as a mom, it was important for what she was doing um, to dedicate her son. And then Manoah prayed to the Lord saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. And God answered Manoah's prayer and the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she was sitting in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. You know, why did God choose to do that? Right? You were wondering that too? Like, yeah. Like, but could you imagine her saying, I'm going to blow it again. We just wait right here while I go get my husband. <laughs> right? You would just video chat. video chat. But he prays, you know, he has an element of doubt. He hasn't heard it for himself. Right? He's like, I want to hear it for myself. But God's gracious enough that even when we say, Lord, will you give me a sign? Lord, will you just clarify this with me? Would you have my good friend come along and say, oh, I think the Lord's saying the same thing? Or You know what I'm saying? God's gracious in that. Um, so he, he gets that prayer answered, but he's not there when he comes back, which I just find so funny. Um, so she quickly runs. He waits for her. She quickly runs and tells her husband, the man who appeared to me the other day is here again. So Manoah runs back with his wife and asked, are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? He didn't even trust his wife that, that she was seeing the same guy. Like maybe he was thinking, she's so crazy nuts right now. <laughs> are you sure this is the same guy you talked to? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? Now, are you that kind of person or are you married to that kind of person that they want to know the details they're going to sit down I know you are <laughs> this is my girlfriend over here that's like can you tell me what we're studying a month from now so I could put it on my calendar and read it ahead of time and take a note and let me get my <laughs> special notebook out that will yeah. only be dedicated to that <laughs> yeah exactly and right? I will take notes on everything that right? comes out of your mouth <laughs> this is my friend Manoa over here what exactly are the rules what exactly are the ways and the things that you want this boy's life to be? I want to get it right. I don't want to miss a detail, right? This, though, is why the difference, do you see the two polar opposites, how God, like, laughs about that? Like, I'm going to put you with a woman that can't even recognize maybe who the one she talked to was. <laughs> oh, you're raising your hand. Yeah. Yes. Yes, ma'am. A Nazarite, okay, so they they would take a vow, and usually this wasn't a life vow. It could be like a like just a certain amount of time. They didn't cut their hair, so these things that are listed, they don't drink, they don't cut their hair, and they weren't allowed to touch anything dead, okay? And um, it, it was something that they just did as a dedication to God. So think of it like a very exaggerated version of fasting for a time, you know? Like something that you do as a dedication to God. Only God said, I'm going to 
this is a miraculous birth, right? You think about it, like we want to skip over it, but this is a miraculous birth that was given. And um, he says, kind of like with Hannah, where Hannah dedicated her son to the temple, he was to be a dedicated Nazarite his entire life, and they were to begin the vow for him. He didn't even have a choice in it, right? Right? And that might be Peter why he went the wrong way. But, <laughs> but God had a plan knowing from the beginning exactly what he would accomplish because we saw in that verse it said he was going to begin the victory, right? God knew he wasn't even going to bring the entire victory. It would just be a beginning to it. And if you think about it, the Philistines at this time, you know, they've been oppressing them. I can't remember how many years or if it was 200 years and, and I might be um, off on that, but they'd been oppressing them for a long, 40 years. It said right there in verse one, 40 years, they had been oppressing them and they had um, greater military power. They had greater numbers. They just all around um, Israelites did not see themselves as someone that could come against them. And they had sat back on their laurels, so to speak, and allowed themselves to be defeated, you know, and um, I will hold all of my political thoughts on that right now. <laughs> all um but they had felt they had felt like there was just what can we do there's nothing we can do and so he brings samson and and samson's to take this vow he needs to begin this victory and we may look at it and um what i will bring up is you know one of the things that i think about with samson in this whole story about coming to to war, so to speak, against the Philistines in that war beginning, is we hear in Scripture, right, in, in Matthew, about there will be in the end days wars and rumors of wars and things like that. And they've been saying that for 2,000 years, right? I see there's this war, there's this rumor of war, there's a tornado, there's an earthquake, there's a, right? We've been saying that. We have no idea how long that will be. I can tell you on the timeline kind of where we're at with Jesus coming back. You know, Israel's gone back, but they haven't been um, bombed. You know, there's a time frame in Ezekiel 37, 38. My, my good friend Brad, he likes to share all that stuff with me. Um, but when we look at today, even now in January, and we're looking at all the things in the last year that have transpired, right? With wars and rumors of wars within our own country within our political party, within your Republican party, within your Democrat party, whatever it may be. It's not even us against them anymore. It's us against us, right? We're imploding and we have no idea. You know, we look to the future and we think that we know what a war looks like and we've got you know, WikiLeaks and InfoWars and laptops being taken and um, we are in space with Russia with nuke weapons that can go up and then hit like an asteroid and take out an entire, take out Texas, you know, different things like that. And then you have, you know, we're building space stations so we could shoot down those types of weapons or an asteroid that's coming or whatever it may be. Like what we perceive, kind of like when we talk about, um, how the two witnesses would be seen around the world. And we go, well, now we realize 
it would be on the internet. Everyone could see it at the same time, right? We, they wouldn't have. Even, it was a weird concept to them. So what wars and rumors of wars look like to people even 200 years ago with no internet and no technology and no, no one in space and, you know, it's going to look so different in the future. We don't know. There's wars at home right now. There's some wars at people, home. You know, right. And, stuck at home. and some people, if they had their way, would have civil war. So you, you just never know, right? You never know. But the, but the thing is, is if when I look at Samson, he didn't raise up all of the Israelites and say, you got this, like he did with Joshua and Caleb, right? Just suck it up and go. I'm going to give you victory everywhere you go, right? With, with Samson, it was like, I'm going to give you this one really faulty, like self-centered, selfish, prideful dude, and he's going to do it. He's going to begin the victory all by himself while you sit there in the corner, right? And um, so we think that it's got to be a superpower. We think that um, we have to be able to fight back when God can use the smallest, weakest man. And part of Samson's strength here, we'll, we'll talk about it here in just a second. Um, it says in 13, the angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. You know, no grapes, no raisins, drinking wine, alcoholic, forbidden food. You know, they have this uh, conversation about giving an offering and whether or not um, that was God and whether or not. And yes, that is Jesus incarnate in that angel of the Lord is that term that in the Old Testament that we see. Um, but he's, you know, he's afraid, well, I'm going to die now because they felt they couldn't be in the presence of God. I'm going to die now because of, and, and his wife's like, who, on the other hand, it's kind of like that Martha and Mary story, right? Because on the other hand, his wife's going, why would he do all of this and then kill us? Right? Like, where's your faith? <laughs> Right, and so they go back and forth and all of that, um, and say, um, verse twenty four. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Mahanadan, or Dan, which is located between the towns of Zora and Eschatol. Now. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. So it jumps right there, like he's grown up a little bit right now, yeah. right? So here he is, and he goes into Timnah. And he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Could you imagine your son saying, I saw a woman, go get her? <laughs> You know, right? Maybe take on our date. No, he doesn't even, he's not even, yeah, no, caught her eye, right? So his father and mother objected. Why did they object? Because it says, isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry, they asked? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? Here, their son is supposed to be set apart for the Lord, and he wants to be unequally yoked with a pagan, not just any pagan, but the enemies, right? As a parent, 
you're objecting, right? <laughs> you're objecting. Um, but Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. Do you think, how does God work in that? Do you think God caused him to have attraction to her? Or do you think God allowed the attraction to be used? In your own life, how does sin generally work? It tells us in scripture, God works all things according to good, right? His good, right? So he's like, you know what? I know you're going to sin. I know you're going to mess up, but I'm going to use that as a ministry one day. <laughs> That's kind of like where Samson's at, right? He, this is, um, God's like, I knew he was going to do that. And he's going to use it. It's part of the, the beginning of the victory plan as to how he's going to take down the Philistines with one scrawny guy. Right? And it doesn't really say that Samson was seeking. Well, it says um, it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So he was seeking an opportunity, meaning Samson was seeking an opportunity? Uh, my version says the Lord was at work creating an opportunity. So the to Lord work. was. So yeah. he would read his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. Yes. For he, the Lord. Yes. Uh, okay. God was using it as an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. Um, because Samson was going to make his choice regardless because God doesn't force us. We know that logically, right? God doesn't force us to make any decisions. But there was no seeking the Lord with Samson. Oh, no. No. We all know what he was being He was, by. yeah. Because she looks good to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, get her herself. Yeah, go get her. But these seem like parents that were so, um, you know, their only child, the child they hadn't had. We better do everything for this child. Yeah. And in and in the meantime, they were ruining this child too. You know, by doing all for him. I think that they were doing their best to try to corral someone that who's, you know, Scripture talks about the carnal Christian. Like, we know Samson's saved because he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, right? Like, if it had not been there, we'd all be sitting here debating over whether or not we think the guy was actually ever saved. We know he was. It wasn't until the end of his life, though, that he had a true heart change, right? And God used the end, and we'll get to that. But, um, but at this time in his life, he's not really living for God. In fact, he's not even, you know, he's actually a judge for 20 years. And he's not even acting as a judge at this point. It's not until later. Um, and so he's just kind of got nothing but to roam around and demand. Maybe, like you said, maybe part of it is he's so prideful because he knows he's supposed to be some sort of savior, right? And I think of, you know, when Joseph and Mary lose Jesus and Jesus, like, turns back and is like, you know, I got to be about my father's business. This guy's like, I got to go be about my own business, right? <laughs> so there's a difference there between the two of them, but some similarities as well in God still used one very imperfect man 
by his power. And at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Oh, I'm sorry. I backed that up a little bit. Um, Verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands, and he did it as easily as if it were a young goat. I, I guess maybe we could rip apart a young goat. I don't know. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. And when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. He hadn't even had a conversation with this Philistine woman yet, right? He was purely attracted to her physically, right? Hadn't even had a conversation. But what'd you say? Built to last, right? Verse 5 there, when it says he came near the vineyards of Timnah. What's a vineyard? Where the grapes are. Where the grapes are. That guy flirted with temptation in every way, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't even supposed to be near that, yet he's walking through the vineyard. They probably got their, what do they call them? Taste uh, trays out or whatever. (laughs) Their Costco gal. Yeah, their Costco gal standing at the road, you know. Um, <laughs> they're taste. What are they called? Tasting. What are they called? Uh, anyway, no, they, it's got a certain name. A tasting something. Anyway, you can tell how often I do that. Um, yuck. <laughs> so, so here he is. Okay, and so he kills this lion. Right. Nothing really wrong with that part of it. Right. There's nothing that said he couldn't kill something that was alive. Right. But then. Later, in verse 8, it says, Later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding. Because obviously he got mom and dad talked into, Okay, fine, I'll give you the girl, whatever. Um, He turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. So there's your second bow, right? He's not supposed to go anywhere, anything near, touch anything dead, right? And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. And he scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. And he also gave some to his father and his mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Isn't that just like us to want somebody to participate in our sin? Right? We're just going to bring them along with us. Have you ever been blindsided? Not knowing that you were involved in something and someone got in trouble? (laughs) Yeah, and you're standing there, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, right? That happened to me when I was a kid, a lot, I think. I'm sure I was innocent. <laughs> I'm sure I was innocent. Um, as his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party. What do some of your versions say? Celebration? Feast? Feast? Yeah. Well, the actual transla- translation of that is drinking party. He threw a drinking party. The guy that's not supposed to drink, not supposed to be near the dead things, not supposed to be. This is how the bachelor. This is, yeah. Actually, the bachelor parties, that is a a long standing tradition that goes way back. Yeah. Yeah. And so he prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. Yes. It's a custom. It kind of makes you think that, yeah, it's a drinking party. It's a drinking party. It's his bachelor party. This is exactly what it is. Um, 
And the bride's parents, they saw him, and they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. The guy didn't even have a friend, right? He had nobody to stand up for him, so they had to give him 30 enemy friends, Philistine friends, right? These are not his friends, right? It says, Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. And so he said, out of the one who eats came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, not only did he not have any discernment in going near the dead things, going near the drinking, having a drinking party, you know, none of that, he had no conviction. Not even like the guilty conscience that you and I might have, right? He had none of that. And now he turns it into a joke. Like it's so funny he's gotten away with this. Now he's going to bring others into this funny joke about his life that he has no conviction over, right? That does tell you where his heart is at with the Lord, doesn't it? Um, but, you know, Scripture also tells us God's not going to be mocked. So he, at some point, there's going to be some consequences, right? Three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. And on the fourth day, because he took it that long. Have you ever held a, jo- a joke or held a riddle for four days? No. Any of you guys know any firefighters? Rich. Rich. Firefighters. I hate to disillusion you spend a lot of time trying to um, make their day go by. <laughs> and when they're, at, when they're on fire camps and they have downtime or they're sitting on a fire and they're literally sitting there watching the fire and making sure it stays contained, they play games. They call them fire games, right? And they play these games and they're all riddles. And it's like, this is one, this is two, this is three, this is four, this is five. What is it? I mean, like... You're going to the moon and you're taking a this and a this and a that. What is it? You know, and it's like they play these games. And every year they come out with like three or four more of them. And um, they're these great riddles. And you spend all summer trying to figure out what the fire camp guy's riddle was. It, you know, whatever. And they're, it's, it's hilarious and it's a lot of fun and whatnot. Well, Samson carried out a riddle. I don't care how long it, Richard starts something. I mean, it may be an hour. We usually figure out. We have such a big family. Somebody figures it out, and then someone else, and then someone else, right? But sometimes someone just cannot figure it out, right? And we eventually give it up. That might be an hour tops, right? Samson's on day four, and he's not given up the riddle, right? And it's not only that he's not given up the answer to that riddle and how to solve it. Um, they're freaking out because... Um, to provide that amount of clothing for him and to buy him a new wardrobe would put them in the poorhouse. They didn't have that kind of money, right? And so they're starting to get a little worried, yeah? And this isn't even their friend, (laughs) right? They're sobering up a bit. I am, yeah, I, what did I, at the drinking party on day one, what did I, when the good stuff was flowing, (laughs) right? Okay, so he says, so Samson's wife, I know they, so they go to him and, and they say, and to Delilah, not Delilah, 
um, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. They're not even her friend, right? We're going to burn down your father's house with you in it. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? So she cried, and whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration, and at last, I love this, and at last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging, and then she explained the riddle to the young men. Right? (laughs) So, you know, nagging does work. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the things we learned. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. So then she explains the riddle to the young men. So before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson replied, if you hadn't plowed my heifer. Now, what that means is who plows? Ox, right? Not cows, right? So we know heifer's a cow, right? So cows don't plow. And so he's basically saying, you're cheating. You cheated. That's it. You broke the rules. If you hadn't gotten gotten her to... Find out the answer, right? She hadn't have been a heifer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you wouldn't. Yeah, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, there's probably a lot to speak in that as well. But um, then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he went down to the town of Ashkelon killed 30 men, took their belongings, and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. He doesn't even kill those 30 men. 30 innocent, albeit Philistines, get killed, and their clothes get taken so, so he can write the debt. We can assume their clothes might be kind of bloody and messed up, and right? then takes them off of their bodies? Right. Here you go. That's a good question. Yeah. Maybe he made him strip, and then he killed him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But... Either way, I think he did it out of anger and he didn't care if they were bloody. Because <laughs> he was mad at this point. Yeah, was, this was revenge. So um, only it's just interesting that he took it out on somebody else and not them. Samson was furious about what happened and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. One of the 30 guys that said, if you don't get the answer to the riddle, I'm going to burn you and your husband or your dad, right? And that, that's the guy dad gives. This is a messed up family, right? These are messed up people. Right? Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. Like later on, he's like, I got a wife. Feeling a little frisky. I'm going to go find her. <laughs> Samson took a goat. As a young, a young goat is a present to his wife, and he said, I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her. But her father wouldn't let him in. I truly thought you must hate her, her father explained. And so I gave her in marriage to your best man. But look, 
Her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. And Samson said, This time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. Then he went out and he caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Could you imagine wrestling 300 foxes and tying their tails? Right? Right? How do you... How? Um, then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. And he burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Samson was the reply. Because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. The only good thing I could say about the guy is clearly when revenge was had, they knew exactly why there was revenge that was made, right? <laughs> there was no question in their mind. <laughs> yeah. It's honorable. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. Right, right? Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. Then he went to live in a cave in the rock of Edom. The guy's got nothing, right? He's got nothing left. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. And the men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson, and we've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So the 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave in the rock of Edom. And they said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. So the Israelites, they're, here Samson is supposed to be their you know, their savior and their judge, you know, and they're going down and saying, what are you doing to us? What kind of ruler are you, right? Um, technically, he hasn't, I don't think he's started ruling yet, but the, the, I'm sure the rumor is out in who Samson is, right? And we see that a little later on because they know who he is. They know where to find him. They, they, his stories of strength have probably gone before him, right? He's a legend in his own time at this time, right? Don't you realize what you're doing to us? I mean, have you no conscience, right? But the men of Judah told him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right. That's his, all right, Samson said, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, they replied, and we won't kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. <clears throat> and as Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. But the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on his arm as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrists. And so if you think of like a straw that has been burned and now it just is so brittle and just... The ropes were like nothing to him. And he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey, and he picked it up, and he killed a thousand Philistines with it. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps, and with the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And when he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was named Jawbone Hill. 
Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Anybody see anything wrong with that? <laughs> I didn't see those instructions. You didn't see that instruction? Not only that, but he gives God no credit in that, right? Oh, look at what I've done for you all by myself, right? Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? Can you imagine talking to God like that? And yet he, holding a dead thing that he's not supposed to be That too, right? But his pride, his arrogance, and yet I heard this quote, God's mercies are far greater than our mess-ups. He was... He was far greater, and in, in, in God's plan was far greater than what his mess-ups were. So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi, and Samson was revived as he, as he drank. And that makes me think, you know, so God is merciful. He still gives him the drink of water. And I think of those times that we mess up, and we're, like, going on and thinking we're getting away with it, like, like, it's only a little thing, it's only a little thing, it's only a little thing, and there's no consequences, you know, I must, you know, God's fine with it, and we justify it, and the world likes to justify the things that they get involved in, you know, and it's like, at some point, it's going to end, but right now, we're watching the buildup of it happening, right, Um, and he named that place the spring of the one who cried out, and it is still in Lehi to this day, and Samson judged Israel for 20 years during this period when the Philistines dominated the land. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. No mincing of words there. They just spent the night. The, yeah, they just spent the night. He was just lonely. It was just, yeah, just lonely. He only looked at the pictures. Um, <laughs> so word soon spread that Samson was there, so the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, When the light of morning comes, we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight, and then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across the Hebron. I have no idea why he did that. I actually tried to research that and couldn't find an answer, Um, except to maybe show his power, you know? Yeah, that he ruled them or, you know, they had, I don't know. But it's just part of his pride that, you know, he had control. Um, Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. It doesn't say anything about Delilah ever falling in love with Samson, right? In fact, um, the next verse says exactly why she was in that. Because that 1,100 pieces of silver, is that her person? Was that per person? We, each of us. Yeah, each of us. Thirty, thirty pieces of silver. Right. So you see a lot of those similarities, don't you? Yeah, but yeah. Was worth so much more than yeah. Than 
Well, and Judas wound up taking his life over it. Yeah. Delilah. The only thing we could hope for is maybe she was in the temple when it went down. But <laughs> God, I'm sure, had a, has his own vengeance in that. But So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. And we're going to see that succession of lies, right? Samson replied. And I feel like um, while we're reading this, like we're watching the th- three little pigs. And like we're reading the three little pigs, right? And, and each one, right? Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings and she tied Samson up with them. And she had hidden some of them in one of the inner rooms of her house. And she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Again, afterward, Delilah said to him, right? I feel like I'm reading a storybook. You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me, how can you be tied up securely? Samson replied, if I were tied up with brand new ropes that have never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them. And the men were hiding in the inner room as before. And again, Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson snapped the ropes from his arms as if they were thread. Then Delilah said, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. She said the same thing. Like she's got no new, you know, <laughs> nothing new, right? Um, you have, where, so where am I at? Verse uh, 13. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. And Samson replied, if you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and tighten it with the loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. So while he slept, Delilah wove the seven braids of, his, braids of his hair into the fabric, and she tightened it with the loom shuttle. And again she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson woke up, pulled back the loom shuttle, and yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. And Delilah pouted. She got a new routine. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You have made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. And get your pencil out and scratch out this whole next verse out of your Bible, because I don't know how it made it in here. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. (laughs) He does not pick good, does he? Yeah, no, yeah, pick the same. Right. It's discernment, right? The man had a lack of discernment in every area of his life. Yes. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. Again, lack of discernment. Here's somebody that has tricked me now four times into telling her the truth, right? Not to mention that one woman that he was married to before who had done the same thing, and look how that turned out, right? So he has no discernment in that. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent her um, for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me a secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands, and Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. 
And in this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. Okay, a couple of things. And you've kind of already pointed out in that lack of discernment. This is now the fourth time. If every time you look up and the Philistines are standing there, duh, right? (laughs) Duh. (laughs) And he's told the truth this time. He did nothing to not go to sleep. He let her lull her him to sleep to wake up to the Philistines with the truth of how he would have no strength. How heavy a sleeper is this guy? Okay, how dumb is this guy? Right? How dumb is this guy? And yet, as dumb as he is, um, God has used him. Right? Because he's like, no one's gonna no one's gonna see this coming. <laughs> So then she cries out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And he woke up and he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He had reached that. This is the time for consequence. I've allowed you to live the life you've led. And I've used you in all of this. Um, for my good. Philistines were afraid of him. They have found a power that they can't understand. They don't know how to uh, conquer. Is that Jim? Yeah. Um, And so God has used that, right, to show them a power that they don't have that they can be afraid of. But He's also going to use this moment right here where he says, The Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grain grind in the prison. So they, they blind him. He can't see. They force him like cattle to grind grain, go in circles the rest of his life. Um, and he says, but before long, because this is one of those... Verse 22 is another one of those but God verses in the Bible. But before long, his hair began to grow back. No. Right? You'd be thinking that. You'd be thinking, why would they not have thought of that, right? But they didn't. Like, it didn't get passed on to, like, the next group. You know, you know that. If you ever worked in an office and nobody passed it on to the next crew, right? The next shift. You nurses know that, right, Kathy? <laughs> yeah, some big details get left out. Um, so the Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. And they said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. So here he is. It says, half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. So he is now reduced to like this sideshow, right? And what's interesting about it and why there's so many um, biblical commentators that say he probably wasn't this big brute man, 
he probably wasn't some Arnie, you know? He was probably some skinny, scrawny dude that they did not understand how he had the power he had, right? And so that's why he's put there. In fact, it tells us um, in the next verse, Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, they don't even have like a guard, like a team of men guarding him. They have some boy, right? They think he has no strength. He probably looks scrawny and has no strength. Um, It says, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with the people, and all the Philistine rulers were there, and they were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching, watching as Samson amused them. And Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, this we don't see very often. He cried out. He called it when he was crying out that he wanted a drink of water, right? But that it's not really a prayer, right? He was just like demanding, right? But here it says... He prayed. There's a humbleness that happened there, right? He prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. Which is a complete opposite of the first time when he cried out to him, right? Because the first time when he cried out, whose strength was he telling God he should be thankful for? His own, right? And so this time he's recognizing it's not his strength that things have been done. It is God's. So with one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. And pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And later his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body, and they took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eschatol, where his father Manoah was buried, and Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. If you can't look at the life of Samson and say, there's a guy that really screwed up, and God still used him, and he could probably still use me, right? Regardless. Like, and then be in the hall of faith. It's like, you know what, God? I can trust that your word says that you can use me. I can trust that if I follow you and I follow your steps. And he didn't even follow the steps, did he? It didn't matter that his parents had the rules written down, right? It didn't matter that mom followed the plan and mom didn't have the raisins and the grapes and the alcohol and you know both parents were clearly involved both parents clearly objected to the sin he wanted to commit in life and they tried to raise him to be a good god-fearing little lad but even though he went his own way god still had a hold of his heart from that time that he was a child that it said what did it say back there And the Lord blessed him as he grew, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. At some point as a child, the discernment his parents had to raise him to fear the Lord, and not just to say, thanks for giving me a baby, I really appreciate it, but I'm not really going to follow through with what you asked me to do. Right? Um, The discernment that they had made a huge difference in that coming back around later on in life. Right? Right? 
because he certainly was not thinking of anyone but himself all during the rest of that time. Would you agree? Anyone have any thoughts on this? Some of the things that I saw were that, because um, I was thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you go from the Lord started him in a good place, and then where did this lack of discernment show up in him? And it, it's not like all of a sudden, bam, he sinned. It was like little half-truths. Well, you know, I could probably stand in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. drinking the wine. Mm-hmm. Then he well, went back. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm the one that killed the lion. Mm-hmm. So surely touching the lion now isn't going to be mm-hmm. a big deal. And so yeah. all these little half Justifications. Um, justifications. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it would be the same with us, you know? Yeah. We wouldn't start out with a big old no. sin. Little. I'm not going to jump out there into right. adultery. Right. But, well, you know, this guy is just my friend. And, right. And he really understands me so much more than my husband. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he just wants to have coffee. Well, he yeah. just, and then all of a sudden, you know, there you are in bed with the man. Right, right. That and was it just... a personal story. No. <laughs> But, but it I just mean, happened. You start, out, you start out with little things that, well, you can yeah. say those aren't really sins, but then by the end, you're just comfortable with the sin. The world tells you it's It's right. okay. Yeah. What? Um, yeah. And I think that when we, we have to um, be discerning mm. in, in those little half-truths, because Absolutely. those little half-truths are, are little steps right over to falling off the edge. Yep. What about in um, chapter 16, where it was like reading the storybook? It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. And every day, you know, the Philistines come back and they get them. Like, what kind of discernment do you see in that? Like, how application-wise? He needs to open his eyes, right? Like, every morning at like 8.30 when I get that phone call from that number I don't recognize... I've started to figure out that's my car warranty guy, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like they call it like 8:30 every morning, right? So, um when we see repeated patterns in our life, repeated sin in our life, repeated choices in our life, we need to have some discernment, right? And how do we get that discernment? Knowing what the truth is. And and if you know what the truth is, then when you're presented with the lie, yeah, it's so clear to you. Yeah. You know that this is a lie. Yeah. And so I but if you don't know or you only know partial truth or yeah. let's say I I didn't fact check yeah. everybody that came across YouTube as a prophet. Yeah. You know, if I That's didn't true. fact check some of that stuff or if I didn't fact check yeah. a Right. And say, well, he's not, this is not exactly the truth, what he's saying. And I think right. that that's our responsibility to do You're right. that. I, and I'm glad that you said that because that's one of the things that I've been thinking about lately. Please, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I'm probably going to step on somebody's toe. Just come tell me I stepped on your toe and we'll have a conversation about it. But the QAnon stuff, okay? There's some of that stuff that, you know, is so way, way out there. Cued on stuff. So it's some of the conspiracy theory things oh, that are believed. Okay. Like Nancy 
um, Pelosi's laptop and 15 to 20 other laptops were stolen during the Capitol raid and things like that. It takes you about two seconds to get on Google to say whose laptops were stolen. There were two laptops that were stolen, one some senator we don't care about, and um, Nancy Pelosi's aide, and it's a laptop that is in the conference room that's used for PowerPoints. There's nothing on those laptops, right? Okay, but 